Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Welcome to The Beat. I am Ari Melber, and boy, is there a lot happening tonight. A man who can no longer claim he is not a candidate to answer questions. Ron DeSantis is formally launching his campaign tonight. Trump out on the attack. We have that story later in the hour. Also, something very special tonight about billionaire billionaire power, Fox News, Rupert Murdoch, and what we see as the succession effect, how that HBO hit is now not only channeling Fox News, but offering a warning for America. I have that special report tonight here. I don't think you'll see it anywhere else. But we begin with the big story, this legal pressure that is engulfing Donald Trump to a degree that he is clearly aware of. His former White House lawyer made waves and actually concerned some people by predicting that Trump will, quote, go to jail over classified documents. Now we have this short but unusual new letter from Donald Trump's lawyers, signed by them, publicized by Donald Trump, that reads like a cry for help or some sort of freakout. I can tell you Straight up, it's not a normal legal proceeding. It's addressed to Attorney General Merrick Garland. The Wall Street Journal had made waves of the report that we told you about this week, that the case may be nearing the end. And although no one can say what will happen, it clearly had bad news in there at a minimum for Trump with insiders bracing for a possible indictment. Again, that's not news you can go to the bank with, but it's Wall Street Journal which is owned by, of course, the Murdoch Empire, by the way, a story that relates to something else we're doing later tonight. And that may, among other things, have led Trump to write this letter. It basically tries to shake down the attorney general of the United States, which is odd. And then it demands a sort of a meeting. It's practically reads like something Trump dictated him, dictated to his lawyers. And it could also be that there's indications that lawyers themselves are worried about an indictment. The letter says, at your earliest convenience, please come and they want to, quote, discuss the ongoing injustice that's being perpetrated by your special counsel and his prosecutors. Uh, It also says Trump is being treated unfairly. And given the history, including the New York Times reporting that Donald Trump was basically previously trying to threaten Attorney General Garland and saying he could turn down the heat in America if they could just work something out, well, all of this together shows there's at least some sort of concern about this federal probe coming a day after Donald Trump was back in court in a different New York trial where he awaits actually dealing with criminal charges. We know Trump wanted Garland to know that his fans were enraged by the search of his home. That was the threat. To give it to you specifically so you can see what he said, the country's on fire. The Times reported that Trump back-channeled, what can I do to reduce the heat? And the flip side of an offer to reduce the heat, as anyone who's ever seen any mafia movie knows, is to leave the heat on or turn it up. We have no reason to believe that that attempted back-channel message, whether you call it a threat or incriminating evidence against Trump or just something that the DOJ should ignore, we have no evidence in public sense then that that led to the attorney general doing anything or reaching back out, let alone holding a meeting. This new letter comes at a time of rising legal heat and on the very night where Donald Trump will, for the first time in this primary, face an alternative who might actually connect with the MAGA crowd, but is juggling exactly zero criminal indictments or federal probes. 
To get into it, we bring in Bill Crystal, editor-at-large for The Bulwark, and a White House veteran. Welcome back, sir. Thanks, Ari. Good to be with you. Good to have you. We'll, we'll get to that alternative that I, that I mentioned, which is a, a change and a ripple here. But first, um, Donald Trump is someone that you uh, have learned a lot about, uh, you've warned about uh, earlier than others on the right. Um, and yes, this is a familiar playbook, but the stakes seem to be raising for him. If you and I had this conversation six months ago, there'd be no criminal trial awaiting. Uh, if we had it two years ago, there wouldn't have been a, a federal special counsel on these issues. What do you see here tonight? Yeah, I mean, we, as you know, Ari, we've, we've cried wolf many times. I think we were right to do so, but uh, it sort of bounced off to mix metaphors. Donald Trump, he's, he's much more Teflon than Ronald. I came to Washington to work with Ronald Reagan. He was considered the Teflon president. Democrats and liberals were very frustrated that their attacks don't skip. If, if Reagan was Teflon, I mean, what does that make Trump? You know, Teflon times a thousand. But maybe Jack Smith, the special counsel, really is the big bad wolf. You know, I'm struck by the breadth of his investigation. The lack of leaks, uh, unless maybe they've occasionally wanted to put something out to put a little pressure on Trump, but uh, he and Garland, you know, liberals, and even me sometimes have been frustrated a little bit by Attorney General Garland and Jack Smith. They've been so by the book, so studiously non-political, really. Uh, I mean, Merrick Garland's probably the least rhetorical Attorney General we've had in God knows how long. But maybe that works out okay, you know, if they're really collecting the evidence. And what strikes me the most, and I know you looked at this, Ari, is the recent stories about what Jack Smith's looking for suggests to me he's not just trying to prove what I think is pretty obvious, that Trump, Trump knowingly took classified documents, knowingly didn't give them back, probably tried to obstruct the Justice Department's ability to get them back. But it looks like Smith really wants to figure out why he wanted them and what, what he was doing with them and, and how broad and deep the obstruction was. He wants to paint a picture and, you know, maybe we've been frustrated. It hasn't worked. It hasn't done damage to Trump before, these kinds of things, maybe. But maybe this really will be a picture that will shake some of Trump's supporters. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. And you, I think you're alluding to, among other things, the reporting on subpoenas to look at business dealings, whether there were other improper motives. Um, you know, selling secrets is a far, even far more serious felony than this. That hasn't been alleged or proven yet. It is being investigated. But you're, again, if, if, if a hit dog cries, as they say in the South, and, uh, you know, I'm a very poor man's James Carville, I'll tell you that. But if a hit dog cries, why is the, this federal thing upsetting Trump to this degree? Um, I'll play lawyer for a second, and you play seasoned analyst, which you are. Um, Lawyers will tell you, subjects of probes don't get meetings with the attorney general. Uh, your best hope when you're a subject is that they don't ultimately indict you, and then it goes away. If you move from a subject to a defendant, um, you don't get a meeting with the attorney general. You do get some interaction with his designated prosecutors, and you get your day in court. You're still legally presumed innocent. Um, so lawyers look at this and say, this is not in the handbook, nor is this a likely outcome. Um, so that's lawyer. To you, I say, if it's not that, what, what the heck is this? Donald Trump knows he's guilty, I believe, of these charges, mm. uh, whether it's the New York uh, AG or, or New York DA or, or even much more so, I say, in, these, in this uh, documents case, uh, which will be brought by the special counsel and probably also the Georgia case that will be brought by uh, Fannie Wills. So if, you're, if you kind of know you're guilty, what do you do? Well, there's the OJ defense, right? You try to attack the prosecutors. 
And basically, you try to do some version of jury nullification. And I, I think he's all along been doing that. I do think some of my lawyer friends who kind of say, Jesus, this is puzzling. Why is he attacking? It doesn't help your relations with the prosecutor if you're attacking him all the time and if you're making thinly veiled racist attacks against against Bragg and against Fannie Wills and so forth. Well, maybe it, it didn't, doesn't help. Uh, but maybe if you just if your game plan is delay, delay, but, it, you know, throw huge amounts of uh, mud at the wall and see what sticks, a lot of smoke in the air, and then basically hope at the end of the day that you get a hung jury and they can't really convict you of anything or it gets delayed so much that you could pardon yourself possibly. I, I mean, I think that's a strategy. It's a political strategy, not a technical legal strategy. Right. Uh, and he's got some lawyers who obviously and would have to give him first the advice, this isn't done, please don't do this. And then it's I'm ordering you to do this or you're going to be fired. Another lawyer we know just left the team recently uh, within the last right. week publicly. Um, and so these lawyers put it out. I appreciate your points there. There's another big news story that's breaking this hour. Bill is staying with me and I will tell everyone what we know. Ron DeSantis has now made it official and he has just posted within the last few moments what he had telegraphed, which is he's running for president. And he is announcing through the Internet on Twitter and with Elon Musk, uh, the quote, I'm running for president, is what we have. A new campaign ad has been posted along with that. DeSantis is trying to, in some sense, reset a campaign that did have a high and had a lot of buzz, let's be clear, in the Republican circles, but then hit some turbulence. He fell in early polling, which is not you know, super reliable, but it is what donors look at, and you'd rather be up rather than down. He fell in that early polling to Trump, and a month ago, he was still dodging questions about that stuff. Governor, I'll show you following behind uh, Trump. Any thoughts on that? Gosh, I'm, not, I'm not a candidate, so we'll see if, uh, if and when that changes. And he's a candidate now. And, Bill, I want to be clear about what is possibly normal politics here and what's not. Um, candidates experimenting with new technology is standard. Uh, and a lot of thoughtful candidates will try new things. Radio, TV were new at one point, uh, Twitter, TikTok, other things. So him trying to get out there that way, I think is it, you can put that in a, in a larger historical context. Um, linking up on par on your first day, introduce yourself to the country with a billionaire, whatever his beliefs, I think is a certain kind of nod. We, are, we have something later in the hour about billionaire power in America. I'm hard pressed, and you know your, your history well. I'm sure you'll tell us uh, to think of a major candidate who's, who's come out in a joint appearance um, and not with a police officer or a soldier and is part of the group. No, I mean, he's <laughs> a billionaire. Um, and I'm curious, given all the Trump of it, what you think about Ron DeSantis coming out tonight and the way he's doing it. You know, DeSantis spent a heck of a lot of time on Fox when it looked like Fox was deserting Trump after November 2022, and Trump seemed to be a liability. Uh, then he's faltered a little bit. Fox looked like it was going back to Trump. Now he's courting Elon Musk to the degree of launching his campaign with him. You pick up some baggage when you go on with with Musk, who's said a bunch of con said and done a bunch of controversial things. It strikes me though, and I I don't usually buy this side of psychologizing, you know, alpha males, beta males. I never really liked overly psychologizing political history or politicians, but I feel like. Trump went on a CNN town hall. You and I can say it was not a good town hall. Uh, the, the audience was too Republican. They put Caitlin Collins in an impossible position, whatever. But the image of it is Donald Trump went into the lion's den, took, a, took questions for an hour, did fine, sort of dominated. If you, I mean, it was horrible what he said, but, you know, looked like he was dominating, looked vigorous. And, he, and, and, and Ron DeSantis kind of courts, uh, bows the knee, bends the knee 
to billionaires, to, to right-wing billionaires, because he wants the approval of their news organizations, which is not nothing. It's not a trivial thing if you're the favorite of Fox or if you're the favorite of Elon Musk. But I feel like if, to the degree that a lot of the Trump DeSantis stuff is about being the, a tough guy, taking on, you know, taking on the lich, going into the lion's den, at least pretending to. I, I think Trump with CNN is. A, I think that contrast does not help DeSantis. You're saying that. DeSantis, on this first day where he will be most seen, has cast himself as Robin to Elon Musk's Batman on Elon Musk's turf in his purchased Batcave. Yeah, that's that's good. I like that. You should uh, you should do this more often on TV and stuff. That's a very good. That's a very good metaphor. We didn't plan that either at all. I mean, no, so, but I mean, I take your um, point, and you're talking about how that will be seen. He looks like this. He looks like the supplicant. He doesn't look like I'm running for president. I'm telling it to everyone. I'll take questions. I'll wait. I mean, of course, DeSantis will go around and go to diners and take questions. So it's not, it's not a, you know, he's not, like he's never going to do that. But to launch this, this way, I think, assumes that an awful lot of Republican primary voters, love, you know, are on Twitter, love Elon Musk, want the candidate who can most appeal to kind of various right wing uh, obsessions and and crotchets and 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 hatreds. Frankly, DeSantis has been following that playbook for a while hasn't worked out too well for him. Trump is a better demagogue. Trump, God knows, is, is a bad demagogue and will appeal to bigotry and will kick down like a bully. But he also knows that he needs to look like the tough guy. He can't look like he's... And, and if you think about it, how many... Trump almost never puts himself in this position, right? He, he may privately court people. He might privately you know, pay off people, frankly, or give them benefits for supporting him. But he always wants to look in public as if he's the tough guy. He's also the victim at the same time. It's kind of a complicated form of demagoguery he's playing. But I think Trump is just better at this so far from what we've seen than DeSantis. Yeah. No, it's really interesting analysis, uh, Bill Crystal, from what is an unusual or different announcement. Um, it's a long ways till 24. We're not going to be covering it every night, but we, we did want to mark that just as we did mark uh, when Donald Trump threw his hat in the ring and Joe Biden, and we'll be covering all of it. Uh, Bill Crystal, great to have you on More Than One Topic, sir. Great to be with you. Absolutely. Coming up, we have a very special guest tonight, Cher, discussing the loss of her friend and another fellow music icon in America, Tina Turner. That's a discussion we are looking forward to, even amidst what is, of course, marking a life, and that's sad news. Now, the other story that's coming up next is my special report we've been working to share with you about Fox News losing in court, the threats and pressure on them that are building, and a very interesting twist that I want to share. It's when we're back in 60 seconds. So far, the most expensive penalty for insurrection lies has not landed on Trump White House aides or the former president himself. The cost famously hit the network pushing them. Fox News, that historic penalty then followed quickly by the firing of Tucker Carlson. Tonight, Fox News agreeing to pay Dominion $787.5 million. This eye-popping number. Huge figure, the nearly $800 million settlement. Tucker Carlson is out at Fox News. He was the network's most popular primetime host and one of the most influential conservative media voices on the air. Those two surrenders at Fox were overseen by the chief of the whole operation, 92-year-old billionaire Rupert Murdoch who turned a newspaper company into a right-leaning global media empire and then found Fox yoked to Trump during his presidency and also after he lost. As Trump, we all lived through this, moved the MAGA goalposts to make 
lying about the election, a kind of minimum litmus test. And then that case Fox lost revealed all these secrets about how Murdoch privately told executives he didn't want to antagonize Trump. It forced Murdoch to admit under oath how money and green drove decisions, how hosts endorsed the big lie. And all of that showed how far the network went in 2020 when its own leaders and hosts knew the truth. The 2020 history made incredible fodder for the current 2023 season of HBO's Succession, a hit show which follows a character like Murdoch and a channel very much like Fox, it's called ATN, exploring how a dishonest network can go even further to try to swing an election by declaring a false winner. Let's call it. On what precedent? By by what authority? Uh, by the power of me, the CEO of Waystar, telling you what to put on the telebox mouth people. It's not a decision that I could necessarily... Uh-huh. Yeah, thank you. And everyone respects you, Darwin, but this isn't actually a numbers thing. This is all upside. Apart from the matter of him smashing the country to pieces. We can pay for any damages. We wouldn't actually be making him president. Oh, sure. We might not be able to crown him, but we can we can stop him. The election has been called for by an authority of known integrity. We just made a night of good TV. That's what we've done. Nothing happens. Things do happen. Yes, they do. Now, in reality, Fox did accurately declare Biden won in 2020. Murdoch later recounted Kushner calling in with Trump shouting in the background over that. Then Fox fired election staff who were correct about Biden winning, kind of the opposite of fact-checking. Some hosts then platformed those lies that fed January 6th, which Murdoch admits he never believed. Fox was also first to call the 2000 race for George Bush, and it had a Bush family member on payroll in the key election department at the time. And while that outcome was ultimately upheld in the Supreme Court, this new episode imagined something worse, what some called a, quote, hellscape because it resonated as the art imitated life. And the mentality where corporate bosses pull the strings and say they'll just pay for the damages later. That fictional line from that recent Succession episode. This show follows a rich tradition of art that both channels and predicts the politics of its time. Like other shows like, or movies like Wall Street. Now, Succession has won awards and become a runaway hit right now. The finale is this Sunday. And it's resonating partly because so many politically engaged viewers see some of our world or this hellscape in the show. And that brings us to our special report for you right now with spoilers. Because I want to explore with you tonight how this fictional depiction of lies, unrest, and amoral billionaire politics offers a larger warning about the perils we face. But citizens and honest people may need to imagine and face how much worse this can all get. Why? Not just so we have a TV show to talk about. Because like other important warnings by artists and writers at important pivotal times, this affects our understanding of the stakes and maybe corrective measures people might choose to take. In other words, know your enemy, as Sun Tzu said. And that certainly thrives in succession with a watchable enemy villain who, among other things, makes cynical arguments. People come to us because we don't sell them on anything. No packet of bleeding heart, United Nations, Volvo, gender bender, horse Not to be crude about it, but uh, politics is what comes out the Would you rather be up front feeding the horse? 
Get the raisin. Let's go to the top. Let's get the president. The real Murdoch uses his power to try to make and break presidents and prime ministers. He's been seen with them many times. Succession channels that to show this sort of anti-democratic conclave, as The Washington Post put it, which is something that we in journalism can rarely show you and thus citizens never get to see in reality. So the show uses art to warn all of us that the way things are going, maybe what you're about to see is closer to how some nominees are really selected than what we're told in public in this scene about plotting. So what, what, what is this actually here? This is just a nice political conference of like-minded donors and intellectuals. AKA picking the next president. Selecto el presidento. That's not, that's not really how it works. Yeah, no, sure, but yeah. No, but yeah. The same report I, I showed you there drew the link to the real life Murdoch's bet on Trump and the terrifyingly powerful forces at play here. Murdoch runs an empire remarkably close to the one in this show, along with a family struggle over succeeding him. The show echoes history. It shows this fictional Logan there you see on the right, standing on boxes of printer paper to address a newsroom, just as you see the real Murdoch doing exactly that when he bought and addressed reporters at the Wall Street Journal in 2007. So there are many comparisons and contrasts about the fiction and the truth. Murdoch's been in the news more than ever, really, lately, for bad reasons. And Succession's writers say it's not just him. They have many influences. I can tell you, though, tonight, the actor who played Murdoch's top lawyer or Logan's top lawyer on the show discussed the overlap. Logan, who's the sort of loosely based on Rupert Murdoch, although they say not really, but it's pretty, pretty clear comparisons. Pretty clear. And Murdoch's real lawyer certainly sees the issue. They arranged a legal binding divorce settlement barring Murdoch's ex-wife from giving story ideas to the writers on succession. Brian Cox, who might be known now more for this portrayal of this character than any other role, has also reflected on the show's inherent political critique of extreme wealth, how it divides and spurs inequality in every sense, and how some at the top of that 0.1% even embrace that. We're pointing to how wealth uh, distance people, how, they, how wealth creates inequality. Logan, who is in the middle of all that, and he's his own history, tortured history that he has, but he doesn't give a you-know-what. <laughs> My favorite word that he says a lot, and he doesn't give it. He really doesn't. That's what artists do. Cox, who, by the way, has left the democratic socialist politics in his life outside of this is using his artistry to tell us how he's channeling how Logan lives within the structure and the abuse of his power. So as I explore this with you tonight, we're digging in the archives to kind of excavate these glaring comparisons because this matters. The story in both of these worlds turns on this stew of media, right-wing politics, and a battle among three children vying for control. He's the godfather of a media syndicate that he runs like a family business, a $40 billion business. What you kids do not understand, it's all part of the game. On the Forbes list of the world's most powerful people, he's number 13. Daddy, whatever the f*** 
he wanted. He, one fax, he took out a government. Overseeing media properties now on five continents, including the Wall Street Journal, Fox News, the New York Post, and 20th Century Fox. I didn't make human nature, but I do know what they read and what they watch. So began a pattern for Murdoch's career. Hostile takeovers, rapid expansion, bold risk-taking, and a hands-on approach to running his business. He's on the floor, Tom. Explain to me what he's doing. He's moseying, terrifyingly moseying. Do you like the feeling of power you have as a newspaper proprietor? I'm a great revolutionary. Well, there's only one honest answer that, of course, and that's yes. Yes. It's striking when your billionaire overlord declares they're the revolutionaries, or even the victims and the oppressed. So you see there in that interplay between life and art, an important theme in succession about capitalism, corporate media, and also something else I want to put under scrutiny tonight, which is how that all can connect with rising hate. The show's fictional right-wing channel is seen dancing with forces of hate as a political and profitable project. They show a foreign tech bro who makes jokes about race and ethnicity, may remind you of someone who's also in the news tonight trying to pick a president. There's a Nazi reference that comes up in the show with nods that may be reminiscent of replacement theory and a bunch of other stuff we've been documenting that took its apex with Trump and Tucker Carlson or other figures. There are many. I want to show you briefly a scene where they mix the Baroque absurd comedy of it all with questions about Nazi sympathizing. So... The punchline is ever so serious. The media executive that you're about to see is trying to pin down a right-wing host's apparent interest in this specific era of World War II history. Have you ever read Mein Kampf? Um, yeah, a couple times. What specifically do you find interesting about that period of history? The scale. The tragedy. Hell yeah. Yeah, and which... Tragedies, specifically. Europe decimated. (laughs) Seven million Germans, 20 million Russians, five million Poles. You hear the pregnant pause. The accounting doesn't add up as the scene goes on to show. He didn't count the victims of the Holocaust. It's a line about extreme tragedy. It's played in the show for laughs. The point is obviously serious. And maybe people who follow less news than than you and I do, I think, if we're here watching MSNBC, they might get that point and that warning and think about that there. Informed Americans do know that one of the most influential billionaires around, secretly funding Justice Clarence Thomas's land deals and family real estate and life, has a notorious Nazi collection, including literally a signed copy of Mein Kampf. And with so much misconduct, is there justice? You know, we began this report with Murdoch's court loss. One of the reasons he paid out so much was to avoid himself having to personally take the stand. That's a type of accountability he has run from and dodged most of his life. Even when forced to testify, which is rare, we see him running and trying to pin things on others and his own family. Again, the archives show the comparison. When I read of the abuses of power alleged in my crew's division, well, 
That was the worst day of my life. This is the most humble day of my life. I believe my son was across that operation. I'd never heard of him. I think my son can perhaps answer that in more detail. He was a lot closer to it. Billionaires ducking consequences, even if they have to throw their sons and daughters under the bus or the proverbial cruise ship. Succession can feel like a treasure trove of these failures at the top. At this time of huge wealth inequality, the richest 1% of people amassing almost two-thirds of all new wealth created in the last two years. The big problem is getting worse. And we live in a time where there are these billionaires who are abusing power, trying to rig everything from public opinion and media narratives to the elections themselves. And they are aligned with politicians accusing others of rigging the system. That's rich. Literally. Rich. Now, as this show heads towards a finale this weekend, it'll be the last episode of the season and the whole thing. The last thing I want to share with you is how this show, Succession's politics and its critique of what might look like today's politics, are worth hearing because they are clear and important and bracing. We're going to be the number one media conglomerate in the world. Is there any way to keep the lifeblood of a democracy going by using news as your own personal ATM? Get your old man to make me president. I'll see you to it that you become CEO. People are going to say We'll be in the West Wing. Nothing matters, Ken. The president has not been feeling like your coverage has been very helpful or truthful lately. It could get a lot worse. Viewers will eat from his hand. No downside. Oh, yeah. Let's just invade Poland, Dad. No downside. Information. No guarantee. Greg. It's like a bottle of fine wine. You save it for a special occasion. And then you smash someone's face in one. Succession has built this audience, this acclaim, and this impact, which seems like it could rival any new show recently around. And there's more competition than ever with streaming. So that's part of the news tonight, because it may suggest a much deeper point for the real world. Like other art, this entertaining writing, these masterful performances, almost ensure the message will reach far more people than a sober news report or another dry lecture on money and politics. And this season has been serving up more than just a message about reform or being informed or getting involved. We are witnessing and living through a warning and a wake-up call about the danger of billionaire politics and billionaire politicians and politicians working with billionaires who are literally pursuing profits above all and sometimes aligning with the forces of hate and authoritarianism. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. 
Dental Associates of Northern Virginia redefine what it means to visit the dentist. Get top-quality, personalized support from committed experts who prioritize the well-being and satisfaction of you and your family. Care is centered on a highly personalized treatment plan backed by the trust and support of long-lasting relationships. Schedule your next appointment by visiting dental1-va.com slash offer slash SiriusXM. Turning to news that hits hard for many, many people, not only in America, but around the world. She was simply the best. Tina Turner has passed away at the age of 83. She died following a long illness at her home in Switzerland. Her career spanned six decades, eight Grammys. And I mentioned earlier tonight, although we wish it was under better circumstances, we are here to hear from someone to honor the legacy. And that is our next guest, Cher. Let's take a look at this. That was on the Share Show from 1975. Calling in today under these difficult circumstances. Um, my next guest is someone I've long wanted to have on the beat. Again, we wish it was under different circumstances, but we are pleased to hear from a legend, Share. A good evening. Hey, Ari. Thanks for joining me. You know, I know that it's um, everybody is really everybody's really sad, but the truth is, the way she's been. First, she fought this sickness for such a long time, and she was so strong, as you would think she would be. And and then, but towards the end, I know that she told me once, she said, I'm really ready. You know, I just don't want to put up with this anymore. She didn't swear. So funny, we were best friends. But, um, but you know, she didn't want to do, she didn't want to do it anymore, you know? And so, like... When I first, I started going to visit her because I thought, you know, I need to put this time in here into our friendship so that she knows that we haven't forgotten her. So we kind of all took turns going and spending time with her and, and, um, and, and it made her happy. And, and someone said, oh, Jeff said, when you two laugh together, it is the funniest thing that you can ever possibly want to hear because we both have such distinct laughs but she was really happy and like the first time I went she was laying on this little chaise that she looks out at the lake with and she was very kind of you know kind of Camille you know and laying there and and it's like and she said I can't spend too much time and then five hours later (laughs) we were laughing like crazy and she wanted to get up and show everything that she'd bought in her house and boy she was there were no surfaces in that house but you know she was she was having a good time in spite of the fact that she was really sick you know and yeah. and and not wanting people to know about it but she you know she had her dialysis machine in her house and and so that's how she was doing it yeah and share let me ask you when you look at her life you knew her as a person a spirit an artist uh, many other people know her only from her music, from listening to her work. Um, what do you, 
value or what do you take uh, from the way she lived her life, both as a person and as an artist that so many listen to? Well, I think, first of all, she's one of the great artists in our in, in our generation, you know, like in rock and roll. I mean, she, there was no other person like her. You know, there's, there's no other person even could come kind of close to who she was. And as a woman, she gave you lots of strength, and I'm sure she's encouraged so many young people, but she gave me lots of strength sometimes. And I gave her lots of strength, too. I think we were perfect friends for each other, truthfully. I swear like a sailor, and she never did. Yeah. Uh, when you look at her and the eras that you both have traversed, of course, here we are, um, how did she approach uh, both the limits, the supposed rules of the time for someone like her, and how I, I imagine you might say, we'll let you answer, but how did she sometimes push right past them? Well, because she was, she was such a force, and she, I, honestly, I think she just hit everything head on. You know, she hit everything head on, and she wasn't, you know, you know, she wasn't about to stop. She might not have won every battle, but she fought every war. Yeah. You know, she was there fighting for for all the things she believed in, and you know, she started in a in a in a in a old, you know, an old way. Her she picked cotton, my grandmother picked cotton, so you know, I I understand the the coming from nothing. I mean, coming from so nothing and building and building and building. And when I first knew her, she was still with Ike. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of a very strange, um, very strange to see her with Ike and to see her afterwards. And and I was so thrilled because afterwards she was so free and you could just see her like being able to take a big breath. It was like her new life was like a big, fresh breath. Yeah, it's a difficult chapter, but you're, you're of course, referencing what she dealt with with, with domestic abuse, again, in an earlier era, uh, with regard to how uh, she had to navigate that in her life, career, business. Um, do you have an earliest or early memory of her where you met or spent time together or first remember hearing a song? I mean, we, again, those of us who don't know everyone, we remember, oh, when that song was on the radio or then you met the person, anything like that as, as we kind of mark her life? Well, I was a huge fan before I met her. The first time I saw her, I think we were at the Cow Palace, and Sunny and I were at the bottom of the bill, and Ike and Tina were at the top. And I remember standing in a hallway, and I heard this kind of, I don't know if I heard it or I felt it, but it was like the oxygen was kind of being sucked out of the hallway. And she came down, and she came by me, and she stopped, and she looked at me, and she smiled, and she kept going. And then the next time we met was when she was doing the show. But we, but we really got close once she left Ike, and then we spent we started spending time together. Yeah, it's really striking. I, I really appreciate, and I think many people uh, can probably appreciate you sharing uh, with us on what is a sad day. Um, but as you reminded everyone, a day where you, you said, um, this is a time to mark her life and that you've seen her recently. And, uh, these memories of Tina Turner now passing at 83, uh, are something we can all reflect on, uh, share. Thank you for joining us tonight. 
I want to tell you one thing. She gave me a pair of shoes the last time I saw her. <laughs> what kind of shoes? What kind of shoes? Tina Turner shoes. <laughs> the big, the big, noticeable kind. Uh, yeah, the amazing. big high heels that she just tripped around on like they were nothing. Amazing. She well, was, it's 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 like all of us when we deal with life and grieving, and I don't know. It's the weirdest part of the news when we stop and 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 report on, all, of course, uh, amazing, wonderful people who've passed, but. Um, but with the grief comes all of the positive memories. So again, Cher, thank you for, for being able to share some of those with, with us and with MSNBC tonight. Okay, thanks, babe. Okay, thank you. Cher, speaking with, his, with us here as we report on the news of an icon, Tina Turner, passing at age 83. We will be right back. We have an update on Ron DeSantis, who made, as we noted, this decision to announce that he is running for president tonight. It's in within the last hour on Twitter with Elon Musk. So the reveal was set through Twitter spaces. That's sort of an audio portion of Twitter. And it had technical difficulties. There was about a half hour delay over those. DeSantis then released a video that he's again posting online for the campaign launch. We need the courage to lead and the strength to win. I'm Ron DeSantis, and I'm running for president to lead our great American comeback. That was what was prepared and presented, sort of posted as a video. But the idea of using Twitter, which, as I mentioned earlier, in all fairness, could be an innovation, well, it didn't work very well. And for Musk, who now controls Twitter, so he can't blame anyone else, and MAGA, which famously loves to troll, well, it's not the ideal first night rollout. Indeed, the Biden's campaign here, President Biden, are already mocking the technical issues online, sort of trolling uh, the trolls. Donald Trump using it to attack DeSantis as a, quote, Trump imposter. So buckle on up and get ready for more tweets, whatever their timeliness may be. So that's an update on that story. When we come back, something we have hit and we will hit again because we're keeping the scrutiny on how parents are now a part of the book ban obsession and Amanda Gorman's poem from our own American inaugural being targeted. That's next. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer, like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. Turning to censorship in our classrooms, there's more evidence that the wave of book bans has been fueled by a very small number of people. So it's a very real problem, but it's important to see that it turns out, get this, about 11 people are responsible for the majority of book challenges in America during the school year, according to a Washington Post report. 
a single person, a challenger, filed over 90 in their school district alone. Half of the complaints targeting equality and LGBTQ characters or themes. A third concerned about allegedly race or racism. The news tonight really tells you how fast this is catching up with today. We've talked about older works or targeting, but something that represents America right now. That moving poem performed at the inauguration of President Biden by Amanda Gorman has officially been banned by one Florida elementary school because of one single person. Talk about non-democracy, a parent complaining that they viewed it as containing what they interpreted in their own, I guess, right-wing snowflake mind, what they called hate messages. We've learned that quiet isn't always peace and the norms and notions of what just is isn't always just is. And so we lift our gaze not to what stands between us, but what stands before us. We lay down our arms so we can reach out our arms to one another. We have been warned about this from Orwell in 1984 to Fahrenheit 451 to Fahrenheit 2023, where we are right now. It is the people censoring, accusing others of censorship, the people obsessed with race and hate, accusing others of racism. The only silver lining here is when you actually dig into it, there's a lot more of the honest people, it would appear, than the tiny, tiny sliver trying to abuse this process to censor. We'll be right back. Thanks for spending time with us here on The Beat with Ari Melber. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. 